Hello and welcome to our final regular season episode of the Three Bid League podcast. As we are headed towards Brooklyn, the time has finally come. Wednesday, 1 o'clock on the great ESPN Plus, UMass will take on George Washington and we will get the A-10 tournament underway. But before we get before we get there, it's time to make sure that everyone is properly prepared for these great five days in New York. Yeah, we've been waiting for this all season. It's one of the best weeks of the year, not just in the A-10, but all across college basketball. And finally, we're at the point in this year, especially when there's only one team that really has a chance to get an at-large bid, as, as we've talked about for weeks now. So there's a lot on the line. Pretty much every team has something to play for. And unless you're Fordham, you probably have at least a possible chance of winning the championship. And so that'll take us to our first question. We were asked, VCU or the field? So VCU, I mean, I think we'd both agree at this point. They won the regular season with a 16-2 and record. Just fantastic season from top to bottom. They exceeded everyone's expectations. I just, I don't think you can actually pick them over the other 13 teams. And while they're, realistically, there's not, not every team has a chance to win this tournament, but I don't see how you can pick VCU over the rest of them combined. I just, I don't think they're that much better than anyone else in this conference. So it's going to come down to matchup for the Rams. I really only see three teams having a chance to beat them. Bonaventure on Saturday and either Dayton or Davidson on Sunday. It's a pretty favorable quarterfinal matchup for VCU. They either get a LaSalle team that has just really struggled to close out the season or a Rhode Island team that has been super up and down but already beat VCU once. And quite frankly, I just don't see them doing it again. We'll get to George Mason later, but I don't really see the scenario where they make it to the finals for various different reasons. Maybe the Bonnies can sneak up to them on day two. We tend to see a lot of one seeds go down in that semifinal match. The trend looks good for Bonaventure there, but most likely it's going to come on Sunday if they run into Dayton again. I just don't think VCU could beat Dayton three times this year. And Maybe I'm overthinking it right there, but that that idea just seems crazy to me. Yeah, that is a good point. That's something a lot of people talk about is that it is tough to beat a team three times. I'm not sure how much truth there is to that. I think it depends on the circumstances. But anyway, every year, Ken Pomeroy, one of the great statisticians of college basketball, puts out a probability chart for every conference on their probabilities of making it to each round in their conference tournaments. And this year he gave VCU the highest probability at 45.2% to win the A-10 tournament. So actually this is a pretty fair question from SBU Unfurled on whether to take VCU or the field. It's pretty close to a coin flip. But I agree with you just because VCU most likely, if they make the finals, they will have a game against Davidson or Dayton. They already lost to Davidson, and that was at Belk Arena. It was a close game. They held the lead for much of the game before a late surge by the Wildcats put them ahead. And then they, even though they did defeat Dayton twice this year, they both could have gone either way. Dayton gave them a good fight both times. 
And I could definitely see Dayton, especially because they have played well on the road. I could see the Flyers fighting back. And it, whatever happens, if ECU plays either of those teams, it's not going to be easy. As for their other matchups, the Bonnies are really hot, but VCU just beat the crap out of them a few weeks ago on the road also. And that was maybe the game that kind of turned the Bonnie season around, but I don't know. It's tough to overcome that bad of a game the Bonnies had. Although they were playing really well right now. I mean, Stockard and Lofton, they could carry them if they each have huge games. It wouldn't be a huge, huge shock, at least for it to be a close game. Yeah, and one thing you got to remember going into this tournament is you got to take some results with a grain of salt. One of the big ones is just looking back at Rhode Island's win over VCU in Kingston back in January. And while it really feels like around college basketball, this year has been the season of the big-time road win, that really hasn't been true in the A-10. For the most part, every team has protected their home court to a notch above how they've played on the road. The one strange exception to that is Dayton. And I think that they're actually in pretty good shape to play well in Brooklyn, given that their home struggles have actually been worse than their road struggles. But it's a different game if VCU runs into Rhode Island in the quarterfinals, if they run into LaSalle in the quarterfinals. These are going to be VCU home games, except maybe when they play the Bonnies or Dayton. Those could both be solid neutral sites. But other than that, it's going to be the Seagal Center up in Brooklyn. And so it's just really tough to bet against the Rams. I haven't filled out my full bracket yet, but at the moment I would actually take them over the field. So at this, you did mention Rhode Island, and that's a very likely first-round matchup with v, for, for VCU because all Rhode Island has to do is beat LaSalle. And that's an interesting game just because they did split this year. The Rams won up in – I can't even say the Rams. They're both the Rams. But anyway, the Rhode Island Rams won up in Kingston. And then VCU got their revenge with a big 30-point win at at VCU at their home court. I actually kind of like this game for Rhode Island if it happens. And I know that sounds crazy, especially after the last meeting between these two teams. But VCU just – we've seen this a lot all year, and it has gotten better over the course of the season. But when I was watching their final game of the year against St. Joe's, against a subpar St. Joe's defense, mind you, VCU just, they do not take very good care of the basketball. They had turnover issues a lot. And Rhode Island, even though they, they have their shortcomings also, but Rhode Island forces a bunch of turnovers. They're third in the A-10 in terms of turnover percentage on defense. And just given that they have beaten VCU once this year, one of only two conference losses, I actually think Rhode Island has a better chance than they're given credit for. And I know that year-to-year results, like, it doesn't really mean anything, but just for fun, you have to think about it. One seeds do not have a good history in the A-10 tournament recently. And I just, with all those factors, I actually think Rhode Island has a chance. That, That would be a crazy upset, and I'm not certainly expecting it to happen but I I just think that's something to keep an eye on especially because Rhode Island after that VCU game where they got blown out on the road they sort of turned the corner they had back-to-back road wins at Dayton and St. Joe's so 
maybe they're flipping the page and this is the right time of the year to get hot. So I, I just think that's something to keep an eye on this week. Is Fats Russell going to go put up 30 points again? Because that was the common denominator in both of those road wins. Cyril Langevin was his normal terrific self in both of those games. Jeff Doughton kind of stunk against Dayton, picked it back up against St. Joe's. But the big theme in both of those, and then again when they beat UMass on Saturday, was that Fats Russell was just absolutely terrific. Maybe he's turned a corner. You really got to think long and hard about whether or not he can continue to do this, especially given that they got one more game in between against LaSalle. I certainly do not think it's a given that they're even going to get a chance to play VCU. But they've just proven in the last few weeks that if Fats is amazing, they can beat anyone. If he's not, I still don't trust anyone from the fourth guy on down for this team. Well, I will say if we Fats, I mean, his, it's been so much fun to watch him the last couple games. He's just been on fire after what has been a kind of disappointing sophomore season, but... You know, he he really made a name for himself last year in the Oklahoma game. And it just seems like in these big games, he has the potential to rise to the occasion. So th- that that is a key factor for Rhode Island. If they get postseason fats, then that would maybe be the spark they needed. Obviously, VCU, I mean, they are the more talented team. And Rhode Island, they are going to be, if they make it to that game, they will be coming off a game against LaSalle the day before. And that is... That is a factor. Playing back-to-back days is tough, especially for most teams in the A-10 where they don't have a deep bench. And that's also another advantage for VCU because, as we've said all year, they are one of the deepest teams in the conference. So I want to move along to one of the other kind of sexy dark horse picks that people are talking about. The six-seeded St. Louis Billikens. They'll get the winner between Richmond and Fordham the first night, and then get a chance to take on Dayton in the quarterfinals if they get through their first game. And they're playing some really good basketball lately. They gave Bonaventure a tough fight this weekend. They just picked up a big home win over Duquesne, another home win over George Mason that seemed to impress people. But they are the biggest proponent of the watch out about getting sucked into teams playing well at home before we go neutral site here. They actually only have one home win in their last seven games. I'm sorry. They actually have one road win in their last seven games, and that was down at a pretty bad GW team. St. Louis has had some really great games in these last two months. All of them has been, have been at home. And with the longest trip of any team in the A-10 to get to Brooklyn, I, I just don't think they can carry it over. I certainly expect them to beat the Richmond Fordham winner on Thursday, but the level of panic that they're putting into Dayton fans for Friday night just seems a little irrational to me. You know, I I do think if that matchup happens between St. Louis and Dayton, uh, the Flyers should take care of them. What it will really come down to from the two games we've seen between these just bitter, bitter rivals, is it'll come down to rebounding. The first time St. Louis won the rebounding battle, they rolled to a 13-point victory, and then the next time out at UD Arena, Dayton just out-rebounded them consistently throughout the game, and that was a big factor. I actually, I, I think I've been a little bit higher on St. Louis than you all season, at least the last few weeks. 
And I think if anybody outside the top four is going to win the tournament, I think they have the best chance. Just because outside the top four, I think SWU has the most talent overall. Now, sure, they, they do have a tough run. And, you know, unfortunately for them, when they lost to St. Bonaventure on their senior night, or on the Bonnie's senior night, they missed an opportunity to get into the top four. And while I did, I missed that entire game because we were on the road heading to Duquesne for the Dayton-Duquesne season finale. They built a lead in the first half. It seemed like they were playing well. I know Tremaine Isabel has really caught on in the last couple games of his senior season. He started to carry the load a bit more. And you know that is a good point, though, just that on the road, I feel like teams that can win on the road and at neutral sites have an advantage because you don't have the luxury of playing in front of all your home fans, being in your home facilities. And especially for St. Louis, they have by far the longest travel out of the conference, and that's that's got to be tough for them. It puts them at a disadvantage geographically. I mean, I guess I agree with you that they have the best chance outside the top four, mainly just because I don't foresee the scenario in which someone outside the top four wins it. I don't trust George Mason at all. I think we would be thinking of their season completely differently if they don't make that comeback against Dayton in January. And all of a sudden, they're the seven seed. Everyone's all worried. And we're talking about, can they even beat St. Joe's in the first round? Duquesne might have a really impressive game, say in like the quarterfinals against Davidson. But I just don't see them putting together a run of being able to beat Davidson, Dayton, and either VCU or the Bonnies three days in a row. So I I guess Slew would be my pick. But I would put it at less than a 1% chance that someone outside of the top four is going to win this. Yeah, I don't know. If, I, I wouldn't go quite that low. I think Duquesne, honestly, they, they've been impressive all season, especially in, in terms of their comebacks. I do think they got a tough draw. Even in their first game, they got to take on St. Joe's in the 7-10 game. And the Hawks just about beat them at Palumbo earlier this year. I think Duquesne can take care of them. But moving forward, then they're going to have to take on Davidson if they win. And then most likely after that, Dayton. That's just a, a gauntlet of opponents for them against teams that they've lost to this year in Davidson and Dayton. And yeah, George Mason, it's tough because we had high expectations for him at the beginning of the year. They crumbled pretty quickly, and then they inspired a lot of hope to start conference season. Now that they've had some injuries, though, I just, I don't know. It's been tough to get a read on this team because they've had a few weeks at a time where they look great, like one of the best teams in the A-10, and then other times where they look like a bottom four contender. It's just, it's hard to predict which George Mason team will show up this week in Brooklyn. Yeah, and going back to Duquesne and St. Joe's, this was a game that I was pretty worried about as a Duquesne fan hearing about it. But the more that I think, this is actually kind of the best possible situation for Duquesne of anyone in that 8 through 13 range. Because the weakness for the Dukes has become, without Amari Kelly, without Austin Rotrov, the big man depth is severely depleted. They had to bring back Kellen Taylor, who had essentially stopped playing in games, even though he was still practicing with the team. He's decided to focus on football, which is a 
good move since it seems like he has at least some sort of shot at making the NFL. But now he's back because they need another big body to go with Michael Hughes and Marcus Weathers, both of whom have horrible issues with foul trouble. But then you look at St. Joe's roster. Who's the big man that's going to knock them into foul trouble? Who's the big man who can just shoot over Kellen Taylor? They really don't have it. I like Markel Lodge as a good defensive role player. He doesn't hurt you on offense. I don't think Anthony Longpray is healthy at this point. It's really weird to me that he's playing so few minutes, and I think it's just because St. Joe's ran out of bodies and he's good enough to play, but not healthy enough to have a big game. So if Duquesne can corral Charlie Brown, this is actually a pretty favorable look for them matchup-wise. Yeah, and I, I actually think I might be thinking of someone else here, so I don't want to be incorrect, but I think Lodge might be out for the season. I think he got No, you're right. Yet, you're you? actually you're right. So I completely forgot about that. Yeah, I mean that just cuts the Hawks depth in the post even thinner. I mean, if there's one team that won't beat Duquesne under the basket, I mean I, I think it's St. Joe's and so that is fortunate for the Dukes. Yeah, I just I don't think the Hawks, they don't really have the size unless they can get the mascot to fly up under the hoop and like alley oop over them or something. They they really don't have a whole lot of big bodies other than long prey. And yeah, as you said, his health's a bit in question at this point as he's been dealing with injuries this year. Yeah, and we've seen it over the two Duquesne losses this week, especially last night. The three reasons that Duquesne lost, number one, they were just terrible with their outside shot selection in the first half. That's something that'll correct itself on a game-by-game basis. Number two, they lost because Obi Toppin's just awesome. And number three, they lost because when Toppin got the ball, they would just hard collapse. And Ryan Mikesell and Trey Landers had two of the smartest performances I've seen all year, just getting wide open cuts to the basket. When all of a sudden you're facing an undersized Taylor Funk in the post or a guy like Lorenzo Edwards, you're not sending the same hard double team that you send against Obi Toppin. And that's going to make it a lot easier to close off those cutting lanes. So, you know, now that I think about this, actually, we're talking about St. Joe's having a lack of size to take advantage of Duquesne. If the Dukes win that first game and take on Davidson, I'm not sure the Wildcats can really exploit that weakness either. Uh, Luka Bradkovich has had some big games here and there, but other than him, they have Kovacevic also in the post, but neither of them are huge, huge scoring threats. And I don't know, that might also not be such a terrible matchup. Obviously, they'll need to defend their sharpshooters, Grady and John Axel. But Davidson might be another team that the lack of Duquesne's size, it, it might not hurt them that badly. Yeah, the Dukes ended up being kind of fortunate. The six teams set up to well exploit this are VCU, Dayton, St. Bonaventure, St. Louis, Rhode Island, and Richmond. And they're not going to play any of those teams until they potentially make it to the semifinals. And if they make it to the semifinals, at that point, it really doesn't matter what happens from there on out. It That means that it's been a great weekend for the Dukes. All right, so I guess we do need to do our due diligence here before we move on from the A-10 tournament discussion. I mean, is there anybody even worth talking about in the bottom four playing in 
the Wednesday afternoon games on ESPN+. Plus. Do any of those four teams pose any threat to make a run here? There is one that I want to talk about, and this may be a waste of time because they very well might just get smacked on Wednesday. But the most likely team I see to make the quarterfinals out of the Wednesday night pillow fight, a credit to uh, PD Buckets on Twitter for that name, (laughs) I would say UMass. I actually think that that's kind of a bad matchup for George Mason, just given the way that the Patriots have been playing lately. The big thing for me is Rashawn Holloway has come alive here at the end of his career. Mason does not have the proper guys to guard him. And they've also shown a tendency to give up games to some high-scoring guards. This is a this is a really good potential matchup for UMass if Holloway and Carl Pierre are both going. This this is going to be a high upset potential for me. Now, granted, I actually think that UMass is going to lose to GW on Wednesday, <laughs> and if that happens, this point is moot. I think Mason actually matches up pretty well with the Colonials and shouldn't have anywhere near as big of an issue in that matchup. Yeah, you know that's that's a that's well said about UMass. I mean, sure they could maybe beat George Mason, but they might not even get there if they can't beat GW. And I, you know, we do our picks for all these games. I've been burned by UMass enough times, so I will not be picking them to make any sort of run. Although I do, I do think they will beat GW. I actually, I think Richmond, maybe assuming they beat Fordham. They already, they're probably their biggest win of the year, at least in the conference season. They went on the road to St. Louis and beat them. And just because of the star power of Richmond, I think Jacob Gilliard and Grant Golden are two of the top 15 players in the conference this year in terms of production. Obviously, Richmond's depth has been a big issue that we've talked about this year, but who knows? Maybe maybe Mooney's going to be coaching for his job out there. I mean... I don't think they're going to let him go, but it seems like his players have his back at this point, and I don't see them getting past Dayton if they make it that far. But just given that they already did beat a tough St. Louis team on the road where the Bilgertons play well, I think Richmond, out of the bottom four teams, like if I have to pick somebody, I guess I would pick them. Although, I mean, nobody in the bottom four is going to win this tournament. It's not... I don't think anybody needs to be too worried about that. Yeah, I mean, if Fordham manages to get past Richmond on Wednesday, they're not going to get past SLU. I'm struggling to get a read on a potential Richmond-SLU matchup. When you look at the way SLU's defense is aligned, they're well set in spots. They'll have French on Grant Golden. They can throw Bess or Goodwin on Jacob Gilliard and kind of go back and forth between those two. But Richmond is well set to exploit the slew weakness that has been somewhat closed over the last few weeks. We talked in mid-February about how slew had a penchant to giving up a lot of baskets to your mid-sized power forwards in the 6'6 to 6'8 range. Your Trey Landers, your Tyrese Martins, your Ryan Mikesels, all guys who had great games against DJ Foreman who was two foot slow against them. Nathan Ko kind of fits into that range there too. But with all that being said, DJ Foreman is another guy who has really come along here late in the season. He's made them miss Cartier Gordon a lot less. And so while Richmond has the prop had the proper X factors to beat SLU a month ago, 
I'm not sure that same X factor is still around now. You know, just since you mentioned that, I actually I just looked up the box score from when Richmond took down St. Louis. Nathan Kao, 21 points, 9 for 13 from the field. So sure enough, he was the MVP of that game. And if this game happens, that would be something to keep an eye on. I mean, overall, you know, they will be favored in that game. But I, I don't know. I think Richmond, they might have a chance. If I have to, if I have to, again, if I have to pick somebody out of that bottom four range. Yeah, once again, I'll go with UMass. It's been so up and down this year, but when you get aggressive ups, that leaves you in a position to be able to swing a big upset. All right, so I guess before we move on, do we want to give any final predictions on who's going to win this A-10 tournament? Do you want to start us off? Yeah, um, I'm going to go back and forth on this for the rest of the week, so this is certainly not a locked-in prediction. The one thing that I do feel confident in saying is I think we are headed towards a Dayton versus VCU round three final matchup. At the moment, I'm going to take the Rams, but this is something that I will probably flip-flop on over the next few days. And we'll put out our we'll put out our official bracket predictions on Twitter before the games start on Wednesday. I think uh, it's. I hate to say this, but I think I gotta take Dayton just because VCU. I I think they're the best team, but they've struggled at times this year against the two best teams or two other best teams in the conference. Davidson and Dayton, as the, they lost to Davidson and they. Barely beat Dayton both times. I think I got to go with Dayton just because I don't see them losing to VCU a third time. I think they're a good matchup for Davidson. I don't. I don't think the Wildcats can handle Dayton's big men, and that that might just come across as a homer pick, which is fine. But I also I just don't want to pick the number one seed. History is not on VCU's side, and I just I don't know. I got to be a homer once in a while. And before we wrap up our A-10 tournament preview, I want to go back to one thing on my upset alert. I had forgotten that it might be a good resource to look up the George Mason UMass box score from last time. And just as I said, their penchant to potentially giving up a potential heat check game. Carl Pierre had 26 points in the Minutemen's five-point road loss. And Trey Wood came off the bench to have 13. It was kind of a breakout game for both of them, if I remember correctly. Fortunately for Mason, when you look at some of the guards that they've struggled with, Luan Pipkins would actually kind of be a nightmare matchup scenario for them. We have no idea if he is going to play in this game or not. But the big thing for me just goes back to Jared Reuter has struggled as a post defender all season. And if Rashawn Holloway continues to produce the numbers he has in the final few games of his senior season... It might be a one-and-done for George Mason. All right. Actually, one other thing I do want to mention, just since this happened since our last podcast, uh, Luan Pipkins did announce he is transferring from UMass. He has one season left of eligibility. And, you know, at this point, it, it might just be best for both sides because he is a great player, although the end of the season wasn't very kind to him. And UMass actually started playing better without him, so I don't know if it's just a chemistry issue or what. But anyway, I did want to make that note that he is leaving at the end of the season. 
And so with that, we will move on to our second Twitter question. This comes from Richmond Wildcat, and he asked us to put together the best five-man team from A-10 players with one offensive sub and one defensive sub. So for this question, it was I didn't want to make this the exact same as my A-10 first team, and I kind of look at different qualities for that. For my first team, I look more just the the stats, just what did these guys do, how did they produce on the court. And for this exercise, I looked a little bit more at just the eye tests and guys that I thought would play well together. And it ended up being pretty much the same list, so I'm going to apologize for that. But anyway, on this team, my starting lineup, I've got Marcus Evans and John Axel Goodmanson in the backcourt. I just think Evans, he might be the best player since the beginning of conference play. And then John Axel Goodmanson, I think he's the player of the year. He put up a triple-double. He does it all for Davidson. After that, my wings, I have Javon Bess and Charlie Brown. I went with one elite defensive player in Bess. And then I think Charlie Brown's the best offensive player in the conference, both shooting the ball and getting to the basket. And then finally, I went with Obi Toppin as the big man in this lineup. Just because I think his athleticism is unmatched in this conference. There's some other good choices too, but I would, that's my starting five for this lineup. I know they're all five of these guys have a good chance of making the A-10 first or second team. So maybe that wasn't the creative answer you were looking for, but I just think, I feel like this lineup would play well together. So for me, I'm very concerned with how the lineup fits and having guys across different roles. So this is not this is certainly not necessarily the five best guys, but the five guys that I think would go well together. So I start my team with John Axel Goodmanson, the likely player of the year and a favorite of this podcast. He's going to be the guy who controls the offense. He's the key shooter. He is the kingpin of what we're trying to build here. So from there, I want to pair him with the best possible guard who can allow him to both play on the ball and off the ball as Jag is really good in both of those scenarios, but also a guy who can guard the opposing point guard. And so for there, I went with Duquesne freshman guard sincere carry. He's the perfect guy to lay the pressure on the opposing ball handler, allow Goodmanson to take on a lesser defensive assignment and focus his energy on offense. And you can really interchange the two. I feel like in that offense, either guy can play the point or at the two. So from there, going into my big man, I kept flipping back and forth. I thought I was going to say Cyril Langevin. And when you really get into the nitty-gritty of this team, I feel like he fits slightly better just because of his top-notch rim protection abilities. But I couldn't leave Obi Toppin off of this team. He's the most talented guy in the conference. He's single-handedly can morph a defense as we saw yesterday against Duquesne with the Dukes just completely selling out to try to stop him. And he gives you more flexibility than Langevin does just with his really stellar passing ability that he has developed this year. Plus the fact that he can actually dribble pretty well for a 6'10 guy. My forwards, I already have three key offensive guys, so I need some role players here. So number one, I wanted a nice top-notch wing defender. I actually went with Jordan Goodwin of St. Louis. 
would I rather have Javon Bess? Sure. I, I would. I think everyone would. But at some point, there's only one ball on offense, and you can't have too many guys who are going to be trying to take the shots. Jordan Goodwin has blended in on Slew's offense all year long. He's a guy who's going to be comfortable shooting the ball eight or nine times a game, and he's give you, going to give you terrific defense. And so then, for the last spot, you need the ultimate glue guy. And really, in the A-10, there's only two of them. You can go with Isaac Van of VCU, or you can go with Ryan Mikesell of Dayton. I had to go with the Mikesell's chips man for this. And honestly, we've heard some people call him an elite rim protector throughout the year, so maybe he fixes that issue. But Mikesell is the true stud role player of this conference. He's a cutting machine. He's always knows the right spot to go on offense. Really, he's one of the most cerebral players in the A-10. He's going to be comfortable just hanging around finding his little spots and getting wide open passes. He gives you some above average defense. He's the perfect guy to slide into that fifth man spot. So as for my defensive bench player, got to make sure that we have cover for the rim protection. So I'm going with Hassan French, a guy who I would love to have out on the court for 25 to 30 minutes a night, protecting the rim, getting rebounds and throwing down from the dunker spot. But I don't want him on the floor in the final two minutes of the game because I don't want him to ever get hacked and have to go to the foul line. For my offensive sub, this is pretty easy. Marcus Evans, the heat check artist of VCU. He's a guy who is a true, true closer in this conference, more so than maybe anyone else. He's not the best guy on the defensive end, and I'm not sure how well him and Goodmanson would actually fit together, given that both are better with the ball in their hands. But bringing Marcus Evans off the bench as a six-man spark and having him out there to close games would be terrific. All right, so I just I got to give you credit for that. That was a that was a thoughtful answer. You didn't just go with five of the ten best players in the conference like I did. So I appreciate that. As for my defensive sub, I considered Hassan French. He was my second choice for this probably, but I ended up going with Cyril Langevin of Rhode Island. I just I like the added height although they are great shot blockers and also elite rebounders, two of the top rebounders in the conference. And then my offensive sub, I think it's really important for all teams to have somebody that can come off the bench, run the offense, and handle the ball well. So I decided to go with Jeff Dowden, another Rhode Island Ram. I think he's, even though his numbers, his assist numbers in particular, have dropped this year a bit, when you look at that, you have to consider that Rhode Island just doesn't make shots this year from the outside, so that that's costing him a few assists per game. And I just think he's a guy that he's always composed out there. He can get his teammates good shots, and if he's playing with a team this talented, just like how he played on two very talented Rhode Island teams his first two years as a college player, you give him these great shooters on his team, so many good athletes, I mean, he could put up a bunch of assists. So I, I think he would do very well on this team. And so with that, we're going to pass it along to a terrific interview we had with David Jablonski, the great writer for the Dayton Daily News. He's going to talk about the Flyers, talk about Obi Toppin, Jalen Crutcher, Josh Cunningham, all your favorite Dayton players. Then we go into a little bit on his career covering not only Dayton, but also Ohio State football, the Cincinnati Reds, and occasionally the Cincinnati Bengals. So I hope you enjoy this. Here's David Jablonski. 
All right, so we are here before the final game of the A-10 regular season between Dayton and Duquesne with the great writer from the Dayton Daily News, Mr. <laughs> David Jablonski. Well, Thank you for coming on. Thank you for that introduction. I appreciate it. So I guess the easiest way to start this off is we're just days out from the Flyers headed to Bro- heading to Brooklyn for the A-10 tournament. So what's one thing that you really got your eye on once they get to New York? Well, the last two years, they've lost their first game in the, the conference tournament. Uh, two years ago, right across the street here in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, lost Davidson in the quarterfinals. Jack Gibbs had some big shots, uh, killed the Flyers later. So that was, that was a big disappointment for the fans who wanted to see the number one seed make a run and, and maybe win a conference tournament for the first time ever outside UD Arena. This is a program that has won two conference tournaments, one in, in the MCC at home, one in the A-10 at home. So that team a couple years ago, well, it was a pretty big disappointment for Scoochie and those guys to not do that. They've done everything else, including win a bunch of tournament games in their career. Last year, of course, they were losing to VCU um, in the, the Thursday games, uh, round before the second round, round before the quarterfinal rounds. Another disappointment because they could have won that game. So I think Dayton fans will be really disappointed if they lose on Friday, whoever they play against, and mildly disappointed if they don't even if they don't get to the championship game. Um, so just. Some success in Brooklyn would uh, appease the fans after a pretty good regular season. They're sitting on 20 wins right now and uh, can add to it tonight. So at this point, the seating situation is still kind of fluid. By the time this goes up, we'll know where everybody is. But other than the obvious of nobody really wants to play VCU, they're the class of the conference, is there one team that you particularly would want the Flyers to avoid or maybe someone that you hope that they run into in the quarterfinals? You know, after VCU, it's a real mixed mishmash. I mean, I don't know if any one team should scare Dayton. They beat the second-best team, Davidson, um, on the road, and, you know, we're up comfortably for a lot of that game until the end. Uh, I'm sure Davidson will play a lot better if they run into Dayton again and possibly in the semifinals. But, you know, George Mason, Dayton probably should have won that game at home. Um, St. Louis is possibly looking like the the opponent Dayton might see on Friday right now, and that won't be an easy game. St. Louis beat them handily in St. Louis, and Dayton turn the tables in Dayton. So really after VCU, you know, pick a name out of a hat. It's going to be a, a tough game whoever Dayton meets on Friday unless there's a big upset in the first round. So we know at this point the Flyers are not getting an at-large this year, but they are certainly one of the prime contenders to to win it. What would you say your current mindset is for this? Optimistic, cautiously optimistic? VCU has the best chance of anybody by a large margin, but the number one seed hasn't done really well over there over the years, so it uh, doesn't guarantee them anything. Um, and after VCU, Dayton has as good a chance as anybody. Maybe Davidson is probably the second best, second favorite team to win. They did win the tournament last year, so they've got that experience. You know, they can do it. Um, and Killip's a good coach. Um, Dayton really doesn't have that, as we talked about, the conference tournament experience, so I don't know if that'll hurt them. The small bench might hurt them. Three games in three days with basically playing seven guys. That could be a uh, you know a, a determining factor in whether Dayton can uh, can win on Sunday with some tired legs. So um, we'll see. I mean, you can see St. Louis making a run. They were the preseason favorite. Got a lot of seniors, um, but um, I, don't, I don't know. It's been a hard season to predict, and I imagine it'll be the same in Brooklyn. So one of the interesting parts of Dayton's season, I think, they've actually done a really good job on the road while they've lost a few questionable home games. And tonight, actually, I've been reading that they have a chance, if they beat Duquesne, they will finish with a better A-10 road record than at home at UD Arena. And they also they had a pretty good showing in their uh, November tournament, even though they went 1-2 with a win over Butler. 
Do you think that it bodes well for the Flyers, the fact that they have had good performances away from the arena this year? Do you think that could help them out in Brooklyn? Yeah, I think that's a good point. It um, doesn't really matter where they have played. Uh, they've played well on the road, as you mentioned. Uh, they did play well in the, in the Bahamas. Uh, you know, could have easily won those last two games they lost to Virginia and Oklahoma. Uh, the, road, the home struggles are a little bit hard to explain. I mean, one, you know, they lost to VCU, a team that's just had their number. Uh, that one we can at least explain. Uh, but the George Mason and Rhode Island ones are hard to explain because uh, neither of those teams uh, should ever win at UD Arena. Um, and I thought before the season that they might go undefeated at home, and I was way off on that. I had no idea they would win as many road games as they have. And they all haven't been pretty on the road, but they've also had a couple of big blowouts. I mean, Rhode Island, uh, the UMass game uh, just a week or two ago was a blowout. Uh, so uh, this team is really hard to predict. So maybe it's definitely not a bad thing that they've uh, had some success on the road when they're going to be on the road the rest of the season. So on an individual level, obviously the guy that everyone wants to talk about is Obi Toppin. You've been around the team for a while. Where would you rank him against the other UD freshmen that you've seen? Oh, he's the best freshman I've seen. I mean, he's not a true freshman, obviously. Uh, not even a true redshirt freshman because he has had a year of prep school. So he's an old freshman. Having said that, the best first-year college player I've seen in a Dayton uniform uh, Deshaun Pierre is the only guy who's had even close to a season as Obi has um, in the last uh, seven, eight years. Um, he put up, what, 10 to 12 points a game as a freshman. And Obi's real close to, well, he's going to set the record for most points scored, and he may set the record for highest scoring average by a freshman. So, yeah, his, his season, and it's not only that he's put up those numbers, he's gotten better and better as the season has gone along. Gone along. He's playing more minutes. He moved into the starting lineup. That's definitely boosted his production. And, uh I got another email today from a fan worried he's going to the NBA, and uh, that'll be the question more for after the season. I did ask uh, the post-game press conference the other day, mostly jokingly asked Josh and Jalen uh, what they thought of his NBA chances, and they both laughed and did not want any part of that question, uh, uh, as it should be. We should focus on the season right now, and uh, if he wants to explore the NBA process uh, after the season, that, that wouldn't be a bad idea um, based on some of the attention he's getting, but um, he is still role in some of the areas of the game, so another year of college certainly wouldn't hurt him. And you mentioned him improving throughout the season. He's been a great dunker from day one, but one of the things I've seen is the passing and the dribbling is getting better with each game. So with that in mind, what would you say is the most impressive non-dunking skill that he has? I think it's passing. Um, maybe he can improve on the defensive end and um, the dribbling too. He doesn't do a lot. He probably could do more um, if they asked him to do that. But, uh, yeah, his passing uh, is really an underrated part of the game. I think he had seven assists the other day or six assists. was near a triple-double. Nobody even realized it until after the game. That was the loss to Rhode Island, so it wouldn't have been a, uh, a great game to get the triple-double in. The, no UD player has ever gotten a triple-double, so it would have been a big deal, but it would, would be better to get it in a win. But, um, yeah, I like his passing. He, he, def- he definitely has some uh, turnover issues at times. He's had a couple real key killer turnovers at bad parts of the game. Um, this year, but ever, you can say that about most of the players on the team. That's not a, not a huge criticism. It's just that uh, you know he's still a young player, making uh, you know getting experience. So he's got a lot to learn. So something that I'm a bit curious about. Obviously, he's broken out. I think he's better than anybody could have expected. And at this point, he might be a contender for the Atlantic 10 first team when it's all said and done. But what I'm wondering is, before the season, when you were covering this team over the summer and fall, before the season started. Did you have any idea, just from seeing him in practice, did you have any idea he would turn out to be anywhere near this good and have this kind of production? No, I didn't think he'd be this good. He obviously got a lot of hype. There was that uh, 
NBA, uh, the video of the, him playing against the NBA players in the summer that made the rounds and kind of upped the hype a little bit more because everybody said a lot of good things about him last season, just his demeanor, his, his attitude in practice and the way he was playing. But at, at that point, it's just all talk, and there's all, people are always saying good things about players in the offseason. Um, you hear that all the time. But, uh, you know, I hadn't seen a freshman perform like this, so I, didn't, I couldn't say I really expected him to, uh, to lead the team at scoring. Um, which he's doing right now. It's real close with Josh, but um, he could definitely uh, lead this team in scoring, which would stop an eight-year, seven or eight-year run of transfers who have led Dayton yeah. in scoring. So um, that would be a, an achievement in itself. So Toppin and Jalen Crutcher have kind of emerged as the stars of this Dayton team, although I would say it's a, it's a pretty even team from one to seven. So with that in mind of the other five guys, who is your key X factor as we close out this season? I mean, it, it's got to be Josh. He's still, you know, one of your top two, three players. Uh, he's your second leading scorer. He's had his ups and downs. He didn't play well the last two. Um, no, senior night he played well. Um, I'm thinking of Jordan Davis, who's definitely had his ups and downs too. So Josh has been a little bit up and down, but he's still, you know, a guy who can uh, who can get it done in the post. They've got to look for him a little bit more. He's got to cover the ball a little bit more. Um, he's got to make his free throws, but uh, they need big production out of him. He's still, uh, you know, all-conference player last year. and I don't know if he'll make it this year. We'll see. Uh, Obi has passed him as the star of this team. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but he's still a, he's still a key figure. And, and don't forget about Ryan Mikesell. I mean, that guy has been just great uh, this, throughout the conference play and uh, put up some really big games and been one of their most consistent players. Yeah, even though, I mean, Obi obviously gets a ton of attention, but I don't think anybody could have expected Mikesell after two major hip injuries. He has come on to be probably Dayton's most versatile player. He can score a rebound. He also passes the ball well, and that's just been a blessing for the Flyers that he's been able to give them a lot of minutes, too, because I wasn't sure if he would return at 100% what kind of production he would be able to give, but it's I think that's been one of the greatest things to watch for this Dayton team. I just told his to, dad the other day, just talking to him in the in the stands, I said every time I see him play, I'm thinking, wow, those doctors did a great job. Yeah. So you haven't seen any any lingering effects of those hip surgeries. He's been uh, he's been a uh, um, a joy to watch, and uh, it's gonna be interesting to see what he does as a senior next year. Yeah, I mean, he's looked even better than he did before the surgery. His defense has obviously improved this year. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, the fact he's, he's throwing down dunks this year it, once in a while. I mean, he was never really a high flyer, but he he gets up. He's a rim protector. Mm-hmm. I think he, he's right up there with Obi in terms of shot blocking for this team on a team that really doesn't have a whole lot of height, or they don't have any real tall guys. Yeah. I think Obi's the highest at six foot nine. So, yeah, Mike sells interior defense. It's just been huge for David. Yeah, it's surprising to see him block some shots. I think that is an area, another area Obi could improve as a, a shot blocking area because he's got the – the height and the wingspan and the, the jumping ability to, to do more than he does right now. So looking quickly into the future, Dayton has a very impressive quintet of transfers coming next year. So as someone who's around the program, is there one guy that really stands out to you that everyone should be watching for? Well, I don't get to watch practice, so I don't I haven't seen any of those guys play other than on maybe YouTube or TV, but uh, Larry Hanskin does go to practice, our, our radio guy, a long time voice of the Flyers on WHIO and he I think he said a couple weeks ago that Ibby Watson has maybe been the best player on the team counting the current players who are active this year so uh, he was probably the guy you're going to want to watch the most next year um, but all those guys Chase Johnson is a you know a big time prospect who just hasn't had a chance really to perform at college because of injury so jury's still out on what kind of player he can be uh, 
you know, same with Ibi to a certain degree because he hasn't really played in college other than some a handful of minutes. Uh, um, Rodney Chapman is the most experienced of those players. He's actually was a starter at Chattanooga as a sophomore, so he got lots of minutes in production. And, uh, Jordy uh, got a little bit of playing time at uh, Nebraska, so uh, he, uh, we, we know a little bit about him. But uh, all four of those guys, plus you had in Jerry Matos, who's been injured uh, since November, um, it's going to be a really interesting uh, battle for playing time next year. Yeah, we don't don't want to get too excited because you know, as we said, we haven't seen these guys play in a Dayton uniform, so it's you don't want to get carried away with expectations. But something that I've hoped for a lot, obviously, Jordan Seibert for Dayton was one of the greatest players. He made his mark here in just two years, and you know, I think he's kind of similar to E.B. Watson and Chase Johnson in that he was a highly they were both highly touted recruits. Went to big-time programs, so Watson from Michigan, Johnson from Florida, and neither of them really got much of a chance there. They both sat the bench, and that's what happened to Cyber. But So, I mean, I'm just hoping that maybe these guys, they just haven't realized their full potential because they haven't been given that chance. Yeah, I think that's a good comparison. Um, if they can even come close to matching Cyber, that'd be big pickups for uh, for Dayton. But even if just two of these guys turn out to be stars, um, you know, Dayton's going to be pretty well off next year, uh, returning everybody except Josh. And maybe Obi, but uh, we'll see. I think Obi will probably be back. Is it reasonable to expect an NCAA tournament bid next season? Yeah, I think everybody's expecting that. Um, I think most fans uh, looked at what Anthony had in his first year, didn't expect it. Didn't expect it this year. It would have been a bonus. Um, although they still could do it this year, um, and really expect it next year because you know by year three you got a chance to build your own program, bring in your own guys, and, and Dayton has all the resources, the money. Uh, the fan base, the travel, planes to every game except for this Duquesne game, which is too close. We're in the Dragons bus here. Um, so, you know, a lot of advantages against other A-10 teams. So uh, you should be able to uh, contend in the A-10 every year and uh, compete for NCAA tournament bids at least every other year. Um, you know, look at their history. They make it a three, two or three, every, four times maybe every 10 years. So Maybe they used up all their bids with the Archie era, but I don't know. I think they'll uh, have a good chance to go next year. And if they don't, it's going to be a lot of disappointed fans. So you're kind of the three-sport star of the Dayton area media. In addition to covering the Flyers, you also shoot down to Cincinnati during the offseason, cover the Reds and the Bengals. So just if you want to give us a little bit of a background as to how you came into this position, how you ended up covering all three of those teams. Um, well, I've spent most of my career in uh, Springfield, just up the road from Dayton. Uh, Springfield New Sun. We are all in the same company, but uh, for many years um, we shared stories, but we're based really separate newspapers. And then uh, six or seven years ago, we really combined sports staff. So I got a promotion without even applying for the job and kind of became more of a Dayton Daily News writer while still covering a lot of Springfield stories. I've covered uh, uh, Wittenberg University sports for many years, mostly the football and basketball teams, uh, high school sports in the Springfield area for a long, long time. And I still do a little bit of that, especially in the fall with football, not so much during basketball season because the Flyers keep me busy. Um, so I've been on this beat for six years, and I've been doing the Reds. This will be my seventh season coming up, I think. Um, I don't really cover the Bengals. I, I've done a couple stories over the years, but uh, more Ohio State stuff. Um, and that was only because I moved to Columbus uh, about five or six years ago. And um, the Reds were always out of contention in August, or have been, so I just kind of moved over to the Buckeye beat. Uh, I got to cover the national championship game, uh, uh, Sugar Bowl, Fiesta Bowl twice, I think, uh, Cotton Bowl, you name it, a lot of different bowl games over the years. Um, so my big beats, Dayton is n number one in a way, my most important beat. Um, Reds might be number two, 
um, Ohio State. I've been doing a little bit less of Ohio State in the past year, um, but um, those are the three that keep me busy all year long and a, little, a lot of high school stuff. And then you got various stories uh, from all different areas of sports too that keep me busy. Um, but it's a it's a great job. Um, so I've been in the comp- company now, what, 18 years I got I moved to Springfield. My first job was in Vero Beach, Florida, where the Los Angeles Dodgers had spring training back then. So I got to cover some baseball back then too. Um, but uh, my family's from Dayton. Both parents went to Alter. Um, I grew up a UC Bearcat fan when the Flyers were really terrible in the 90s. So, <laughs> But my grandpa was a long-time season ticket holder at Dayton, so I, I got to go to a couple games. And uh, it's kind of cool that I get to cover his team um, during some great years. I mean, the first four years I covered the team, they went to the tournament every year and won five tournament games. So uh, it's been a, been a blast. So you're going to experience some season crossover, especially in September if the Reds happen to get good this year. That's <laughs> going to start backing into Ohio yeah. State football. So in a situation like that, is that more so you have the freedom to decide, I want to go hit up Ohio State this weekend and really focus on them, or is that more upon the needs of your editor or of the yeah, other Dayton I, writers? I don't know. We'll come to that bridge when we <laughs> cross that bridge when we come to it because uh, – <clears throat> We'll see if the Reds can compete. They will be better this year. I don't know if they're going to be, uh, you know, championship better. But, uh, yeah, they'll definitely keep my interest. The only reason I don't go down for more games, the first year I covered the Reds, I went down to 70 games, and I was living in Springfield at the time. Um, but the last six years, I've five or six years, I've lived in Columbus, so it's a long drive. So uh, it is kind of a uh, uh, waste of my time on the road, at least until they get the self-driving cars. I can't really be productive when I'm driving for uh, three-plus hours a day. Um, so, you know, if there's a Dayton basketball story that pops up in the spring or summer or something, I will probably do that and not go to the Reds game that day, for example, just because the Dayton beat is so important to us. So it's kind of a play-it-by-ear type of thing. So either as a fan or as a writer and getting to experience these things, you mentioned going to the national championship game to cover Ohio State. What's kind of your one biggest hope that happens in the next five years and a game or an event that you get to go cover i just you know college basketball has always been my number one favorite thing so i just hope to go cover as many uh, games in march as possible whether that's in the conference tournament i love conference tournaments uh went to all four great midwest tournaments during my high school years when you see one every time every year uh we went to memphis to see him play went to milwaukee uh, cincinnati they won um where else did we go uh, chicago the old bowl stadium where jordan was still playing this was in the mid-90s, and um, just loved, group loving college basketball, especially the conference tournaments in March, so that would be the bonus. NCAA tournament, you know, I've gotten to, as I said, cover four of them, but if I can get a couple more in the next five years, that'd be fun too. Do you have any A-10 venues in particular that stand out to you as being fun to visit? I'm sure St. Bonaventure, that's got to be at the top of the list. But. Well, that is a great atmosphere there, because, I mean, any really any... Uh, arena that gets a good fan yeah. turnout and Dayton fans like to pick on VCU but they've sold out games for I don't know how many years now and that's always a great atmosphere there um, so that is probably the, my favorite one to visit just mm-hmm. because um, I like a good atmosphere and exciting games um, actually today is this is the first game I've seen at the Palumbo Center so it's the last arena I had not visited because uh, two or three times previously Dayton played at the Kane was at the PBG Paints Arena uh, and the times they played at the Palumbo Center, I was covering an Ohio State uh, bowl game, and I missed those games. So this is the last arena I had not been to, so um, crossing it off the bucket list yeah. today. Cross, actually, crossed it off earlier with the, the Dayton women's game. So um, this is, it's a nice little arena. I mean, it doesn't need to be any bigger. They're upgrading mm-hmm. it, in the, I guess, out in the offseason. Um, I don't know exactly what they're doing to it, but I'm sure it'll be a lot fancier next time I see it. Yeah, you get to knock it out in what will be the 
final ever men's game to be played as yeah. it, when it is called the AJ Palumbo uh, they, Center. So they're changing the name, right, to yep. the, to, uh, <clears throat> forget what, the U- UPMC something. something yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with that, I just w- want to ask one question for our baseball fans. We're in NL Central territory. Yeah. What's What's your simple Reds outlook for this year? Oh, boy. Let's see. what They haven't got to 70 wins in quite a while, so I'm going to – I'll I'll try to stay positive. I'll say uh, 84 wins, just over 500, 84 wins. We'll see what kind of uh, pitching they get out of the new guys. So um, there's going to be fans with a lot more positive outlook than that, uh, but uh, baby steps for this team. They're going to need a big big contribution from Yasiel Puig, that's for sure. Yeah, are you guys Reds fans or where are you from? I'm a Pirates fan. Pirate, so. You're from Pittsburgh. Okay. No, I'm actually I'm from Dayton. Okay. Uh, I just grew up a Cardinal fan, big okay. Albert Pujols fan, but uh-huh. watched the Reds all the time. So yeah. gotcha. It, looking forward to watching him in Vada. It's going to be a tough division, is the thing. It is. That's yeah. the thing. If they were in the AL Central, maybe 90 wins. We'll see. All right. So I just have one more question. This is kind of a, a conspiracy that I've come up with. Um, I just want your opinion on this because I've seen you tweet about it before a bit. So Wright State, they won the Horizon League regular season. They got the number one seed in their tournament. If they don't win the Horizon League tournament this week, do you think they would match up with Dayton in the NIT? Do you think they? Do you think well, they definitely go to the NIT because the, the yeah. regular season championship. So as to the auto bid, do you think the NIT selection committee? I'm not exactly. I don't sure know. You know, I'm not. Would they, would be, I would root for that just because it'd be great for the newspaper to have our, both yeah. our teams in one game. Are they gonna bring back the Gem City Jam? Yeah, is it, is I would definitely be uh, be up for that. Will they do it? I don't know. It would probably depend on what kind of seating they think uh, each team deserves. And if they if they could, I would imagine they would. I don't know. If, I don't know if Dayton and Rice State have any say in that. Probably not. Um, but <laughs> something to watch. Uh, I think Dayton's looking pretty good for an NIT bid. There aren't that many they NIT should. predictions out there, so it makes it a little bit hard. Um, you know, the bracketologists are kind of focused on the big dams. So. Yeah, my, my thinking is they, they make that the 2-7 game. Yeah. Probably put Xavier as the three seed in just, that region. Just need to just save everybody some gas money. Stack it up with Ohio Works teams. Try to, try to put some butts in the seats. Draw some interest. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I, I don't, I don't want to uh, dismiss Wright State because they have a good chance of winning their uh, their conference tournament. And, yeah, they do. Uh, they avoiding are, the NIT. So. They are looking good. I, yeah. Last year, one of our jokes, uh, we're both – Following UD, one of our jokes was that Wright State was the best team in Dayton, Ohio. They're looking good again this well, there's year. No question, I, they were last year. I yeah. think I think the Flyers would give them a better game this year, but yeah. that, that would be an interesting matchup. Yeah, it would be, be a pretty good matchup. Yeah. See the two I local would, teams. I would think it'd be pretty competitive. All right, well, th- we want to thank you for joining All us. Right. If anyone's looking for David Jablonski's work, you can find him either in print or online at the Dayton Daily News, and give him a follow on Twitter at David P Jablonski. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the game. All right, so we just want to thank David Jablonski for taking the time to speak to us again. It was a great interview, a lot of fun talking to him before the Dayton-Duquesne game. So before we sign off, I wanted to recognize the Fordham women's basketball team. They just defeated VCU in the conference finals, so they will be headed to their first NCAA tournament since 2014. So congratulations to a great season for them. Unfortunately, for the women, the A-10 also seems to be having a bad year. In ESPN's Bracketology, VCU was placed in as a 15 seed, and they were the only team from the A-10 there. So if I had to guess, Fordham, probably going to be a 15 or a 16 seed if I had to make a guess, but I don't really follow the bracket that well, so that's, that's just my best guess at this point. But I did look back a little bit at the history of 
the A-10 for women's basketball. And although it, it doesn't seem to be quite as strong as it is for men's basketball, it usually isn't a one-bid league. They've had multiple bids. Five out of the last six years, they've had three bids a couple times. So anyway, it, just congratulations to Fordham, though. You don't often hear the words Fordham and NCAA tournament in the same sentence, but this time you can. So great season for the Rams. Yeah, and it's congratulations to the Fordham women. They managed to do the complete opposite of their men's team this year after they finished in the basement. So good for them. Basketball is apparently strong down at the Rose Hill gym. But looking ahead, this is going to be a great week to be an A-10 fan. We will be releasing our awards picks on Monday. We don't know the exact day of the conference awards coming out, but history tells us it will come out on Tuesday. Then, obviously, we have the Wednesday night pillow fight that is ironically on Wednesday afternoon this year. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we really get into the heat of the A-10 tournament. We most likely will not have an episode on Wednesday, but we are hoping to put one out to each of you guys after the games finish on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then after the selection show on Sunday. So stick with us. Please tell a friend. We really appreciate the growing support that we've been getting over these last few episodes. As always, be sure to send us any questions you have this week at 3 Bid League Pod on Twitter. That's the number three, not the word. If you happen to see us in Brooklyn, we will hopefully have some 3 Bid League gear to make us recognizable. Just stop by, say hi, ask a question. We would love to chat with you guys. Let's enjoy the conference tournament.